Storehouse Dallas. Well, I'm excited because as Tracy mentioned that we are spending this entire summer um, going through the book of Hebrews. Um, I love the book of Hebrews. If, if, if I have actually a lot of favorite books of the Bible, and actually it kind of changes from time to time, but, but Hebrews is like my favorite of favorites. And it's just such a remarkable book. And so I'm really excited. As she mentioned, we're going to tag team. Um, I'm going to be kicking off the series today with an introduction. I'm going to go over chapters one and two. And then Tracy's going to pick it up from there, and you'll see me later towards the end. Um, So I want to encourage you to um, open up the book of Hebrews over this summer. Just read it. I I would challenge you to read it cover to cover every single week that we're teaching on it this summer. As you start reading a book of the Bible over and over and over again, um, it just your, the spirit of revelation starts seeping into your heart. It starts giving you understanding of what you're reading. Um, so, um, and then there'll, there'll be some verses that stand out. I just want to encourage each person each week when there's a verse that we're sharing as we're going over chapter by chapter that just grabs you. You're like, ah, oh, I love that. Mark it in your Bible. Take it that week. Commit it to memory. Pray it back to God. Because as we start praying out the word of God, um, it, it starts abiding. It starts living on the inside of us. The scriptures say, let the word of Christ richly dwell on the inside of you. So let's do that with the book of Hebrews. So when I mention the book of Hebrews to people, I get two main reactions. <laughs> um, some people hear, oh, book of Hebrews with excitement. I love the book of Hebrews. It's awesome. It's da, 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 for this, for that. Um, the other main response I get um, is, oh, Hebrews. What's that about? Like, there's, there's unfamiliarity. There's maybe even some intimidation. Um, and it's like, golly, that's like that, you know, that book that at the end of it, it says, you know, I've written you this short exhortation, but it's actually 13 chapters. And you're like, that was not short at all. You know, let's go back to Ephesians or, you know, the book of Jude, that's short. But Hebrews, um, it's, it's certainly one of the more unique books of the New Testament and even of the entire Bible. Um, but, but what makes it so unique? Well, first of all, the book of Hebrews is a very Jewish letter. The title makes that very clear, Hebrews. (laughs) It was written to believers in Jesus who were of Jewish descent. So there's a lot in this book um, about the Jewish religion, about sacrifices, about altars, about the priesthood. There's a significant portion of this book about a man named Melchizedek. Can you you say that with me? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. One more time. Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Okay, and then a lot of people say it differently. That's how I'm going to say it. So, you know, if anyone corrects you, just, you know, tell them Matthew taught you this. Um, So your Old Testament spends four verses talking about Melchizedek. Your New Testament, the book of Hebrews, spends over four chapters <laughs> talking about this man, Melchizedek. 
And so it's like, some of us are like, oh, that's really exciting. Others are like, whoa, what is with this guy that appeared like once or twice in the Old Testament? And why is the writer making such a big argument about it? Um, and, and so this book, it, it, with all of its sacrifices and altars and priesthood discussion, it actually requires some familiarity with the Old Testament, particularly the book of Leviticus. Raise your hand if the book of Leviticus is your favorite book of the Bible. All right, Tyler Danforth, Chris, over there, come on. I would encourage you to go through some chapters in Leviticus this week as well. Um, but this, this, I love Hebrews um, because it, it sheds some light on that for us. And it, and it works um, back and forth together. This book is also unique in that, in that we don't really see this because of our English translations, but it is, the, um, um, it is a much, high, much higher educated form of the Greek language than any other book in the New Testament. All of our New Testaments were written in Greek. They're written in Koine Greek, which is the common Greek, the, la- the Greek of the streets, as opposed to the classical Greek, the educated, university Greek, Plato, um, um, Homer's Odyssey. They're written in these higher levels of Greek. Um, and the book of Hebrews more closely resembles that. And so our English translations, sometimes scholars are trying to make sense of it and translate really long sentences in Greek into something understandable in English. Something else unique about this book that causes either interest or intimidation is that this book contains two main passages and a few other verses, but two primary passages that seem to suggest that a believer in Jesus can start well in the faith but not finish well. And that there are severe consequences for those who fail to finish well. So these verses can make the book less popular, certainly, for many, um, and, and to others a bit confusing. How does this go in with salvation and God is with me forever? Um, and we hope to shed some light on this as we go throughout the book. And I want to look at these passages, approach them honestly, approach them without presuppositions or theological biases, and I, wanna, I want us to apply them properly. And just this introduction today is very important for understanding those verses and really all these other unique dimensions that I've mentioned. Because when we understand the heart and purpose of the context of the book, these passages, it just, they, they fit. Like, oh, that's, that's, that makes sense. Um, and, and if they're misapplied, if these intense passages are misapplied, I've seen them cause a lot of damage to people. And I don't want to do that to you. I want you to understand it in its context and to share with you, um, for us to share with you our understanding of it this far. Um, by the way, today, because this is a teaching on the book of Hebrews throughout the whole summer, it will be more teaching than preaching. So I'll need you to bring out your Bibles, to open your notes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm teacher Matthew today. But that spirit of, that prophetic spirit, that burning rises up in me. So I'm at preacher boy is going to come out a little bit here and there as well. A few other distinct features of Hebrews. Chapter 11, the famous chapter of faith. If anyone knows a verse by memory from the book of Hebrews, it's usually from this chapter, Hebrews chapters 11. And it's a great chapter to memorize. It sheds light on the Old Testament, the law of Moses, and how it relates to the new. And most importantly, this book, it, every page just shines with the glory 
in the majesty of Jesus Christ. And that's why I love this book. It tells us about our king. This book is a book about Jesus. It compares Jesus to many Old Testament figures, prophets, priests, heroes of the faith, even angels. And one word comes up every time as the writer compares Jesus to each of these figures. One word, better. Jesus is better than the prophets of the Old Testament. Jesus in his priesthood is better than the priesthood of the Old Testament. Jesus is better than every hero of faith in Hebrews 11. Jesus is better than even the angels and all creation. Jesus, the Son of God, is better than, than them all. He's better than any other leader of any other religion. He's better than any other man or woman, any other prophet or preacher. Jesus Christ is the best man and the greatest man, and he'll be worshipped by all nations for eternity. Amen. The new covenant through Jesus is better than the covenant given through Moses. It is a better covenant based on better promises. Let's talk a little bit about the author and the audience and the purpose of this book. Again, I don't want to belabor this, but this just kind of sets us up to understand what's going on um, throughout the book as a whole. Um, the author, unfortunately, we don't know. <laughs> Most of our letters in the Bible, the Old Test or in the New Testament, they say at the beginning, like, this is by Paul, this is by Peter, this is by Jude or James. Um, Hebrews doesn't do that. No mention um, of, of who the author is. Some have thought it to be Paul. Some have said Barnabas, Apollos, or Luke, or Silas. Some have even suggested that it was a woman, um, namely Priscilla, that wrote this book. Um, and so, um, but as the second century priest and theologian, a man named Origen of Alexandria, he lived in Egypt, second century, he said, God only knows who wrote this book. <laughs> so, that's where I stand. The audience, we have a clearer idea of who they are. And again, the title helps us. The book of Hebrews. This book is written to Jewish believers in Jesus. So they profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, but mom and dad were Jews. Mom and dad took them to synagogue. They celebrated the feast with mom and dad growing up. But they've since they've heard the message about who Jesus, who Yeshua is, and they said, that's our Messiah, that's our King, and they put their faith in him. That's who this book is written to. And this is important. Um, most of us in here, I'm assuming, are not Jewish. Um, but here's why this is important. First of all, um, all of uh, Jesus' first followers were Jewish and actually continued to be Jewish. They continued. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they all celebrated the Jewish feasts. They all went to the local synagogue. They all went to the temple in Jerusalem. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which came in Jerusalem at a Jewish feast, the disciples met regularly for prayer and worship at the temple. Now, unfortunately, by the unbelieving Jewish community, worship of, 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 the Jew, of Jewish believers in Jesus would be banned in the temple. So they started meeting in houses and in other places. Um, Paul, 
in the book of Acts. He prays in the temple. He circumcises Timothy, a Jewish believer. He even makes a purification vow at the temple um, until he's arrested. Um, so he kind of gets kicked out. Um, so the temple worship for, for Jewish believers in Jesus would eventually be banned. Um, but, but what's significant is that all but 60, out of these 66 books, there it is, of your Bible, only two of them are not written by a Jew. Luke and Acts. And most importantly, the information this book shares is about our Jewish king, our Jewish Lord, Jesus Christ. So we want to pay attention. Now, when was this written? Briefly. The book of Hebrews mentions that these uh, the audience had received the basic teachings and principles of the faith, Hebrews chapter 6. It tells them to remember the apostles who originally shared the message with them. So these are people that have been walking with the Lord for some time. In fact, in the book, he rebukes them for not being at a greater level of maturity that they should be at by this point in their walk of faith. He mentions that they experienced persecution having their property confiscated, even imprisonment, but not to the shedding of blood. It mentions much about the Jewish temple, but not the destruction. So you see the Jewish temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, Rome came completely, burned it down, destroyed it, and slaughtered multitudes of Jews. So we can assume from these little clues that this book was probably written sometime in the 60s of the first century. Now, what's important? What's significant about this time period? Well, in this time period in the Roman Empire, Judaism was considered a religio licita, a legal religion. It was full of all kinds of religions, but it had to be registered with the state. Christianity which even at the time was considered a sect of Judaism, a branch of Judaism, it was a branch of Judaism that was banned by the Roman Empire. It started posing a threat in the eyes of the emperor. And so they banned it. So there was persecution that started coming forth. And this, what was happening in the book of Hebrews is this persecution is starting to intensify. And there are people in the community that are receiving this letter that are starting to drift back in unbelief from where they began. They had the option as Jewish believers to rejoin the synagogue and to re-identify with the legalized branches of Judaism. But in order to do so, they would have to stand in the synagogue and publicly deny that Jesus is the Messiah. And the writer of Hebrews is pressing this point. And he's saying, some of you are drifting back to that old version of Judaism without Jesus. He's saying, don't go there. Press on. Keep moving. Keep going forward. Bear the reproach of Jesus Christ. Don't let the pressure of persecution or life circumstances cause you to fall back in unbelief. But what if I'm not Jewish? How does this book relate to me? Well, the message is really the same. 
Don't drift away into unbelief when things get hard. Don't go back into old dead religion, into practices that have a form of godliness but deny its power. When God speaks, when God tells, when the message of Jesus is being proclaimed and pressure starts to come, don't drift away into unbelief. Don't fall away from standing on the promise of God. Don't lose sight of who Jesus is. And it's this message. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You started well. Finish well. That is the message of this book. And the writer does not speak to us as, as someone on a higher plane, as if he's made it. He's saying, let us, let us, let us not drift away. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Let us press on to maturity. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us lay aside every sin and encumbrance that so easily entangles. And let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach of Jesus Christ. Let us do this together. And I'm coming in this same spirit today, and I'm pleading with you, let us press on in our faith in God. If we've started well, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and let's finish well. Let us finish the race until we see his face at the end. Amen? Amen. Well, let's start Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 2 start out with this theme of Jesus is better. He's always better. And he highlights two groups of created beings that Jesus is better than. Number one, prophets of the Old Testament. Number two, angels. So let's talk about the prophets. First of all, this, this verse in Hebrews 1, the very first verse, opens up with God spoke. God spoke. God after he spoke. God is a speaking God. You know, we get to know someone when they speak to us. We sit down, we talk to them, we listen, we learn a lot about them. My wife and I, as we were becoming friends and getting to know each other, we got to know each other because we spent time talking. You know, in our electronic social media age, a lot of people substitute face-to-face -face relationships with Facebook-to-Facebook -Facebook relationships. They look at they have long, drawn-out text conversations, but very little face-to-face -face interaction. And I tell you that we get very limited knowledge of who that person is without seeing them face-to-face, -face, without hearing their voice personally. And it's really the same with God. We have a text. 
And we want to read this text from God. We want to pour over it. We want it to meditate on it day and night. We want to get it in our hearts. But we also, as believers who have a new covenant and the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can hear the voice of God. And we want him to speak to us personally. And that's how we truly get to know him. And he often uses this word to speak to us, but he gets it to in our hearts in a very personal way. And we want to know God that way. In the Old Testament, there were select individuals who had this direct line of of communication with God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all considered prophets. Moses was considered a prophet, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, prophets, in fact. And the judges of Israel served as prophets. The kings of Israel, they surrounded themselves with prophets like Samuel and Nathan and many others. Many of these prophets did powerful signs and wonders. Some healed the sick. Elisha raised the dead. Elijah outran a chariot and called down fire from heaven. They saw open-eyed visions of God on his throne. Moses performed the great miracles that delivered Israel from bondage to Egypt. All great men, all great women. The weakness of these prophets, however, that makes them less than Jesus is that they and even prophetic people today, is that they prophesied, Hebrews 1, in many portions and many ways. Other translations, in many parts and many fragments. They saw in part, they prophesied in part, but Jesus, he has it all. Men like Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, they have dramatic encounters with angels, with the throne of God. Daniel is struck with terror and is sick for days after an encounter of an end-time vision that he sees. And he's not understanding it. And so he's a prophet, a powerful prophet of a high-level order. But he's only seeing and knowing in part. Jesus, the prophet of prophets, what he sees, he knows and he understands fully. In these last days, verse 2, God has spoken to us in his son. In his son. So Jesus is superior to the prophets in these three ways. Hebrews 1, verse 2. He is the son of God. The prophets were servants of God. Jesus is a son. The prophets spoke the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. If we listen to the prophets, which we should, how much more should we listen to the son, Jesus Christ? Number two, Jesus was appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the anointed one of Psalm 2. As the nations are raging, as people are throwing off the, the, the divinely given boundaries of our humanity for our safety, for our protection, and for, for love. They're throwing these off, and, the, and he who sits in heavens, he laughs, and he says, I have, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? I have set my king on my holy hill, the anointed one, my king. He is Jesus, and he will rule over every tribe and people and nation. And the Father says of Jesus in Psalm 2, 
Ask of me, son. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Revelation 5, John sees everyone in heaven, on earth, under the earth, proclaiming, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is He to receive all blessing and honor and glory and power. All the nations will come up and worship and bow down before this man, Jesus Christ. Number three, Jesus made the world. That God made the worlds through this man, Jesus Christ. He is not only a man, he is God. He is not only flesh and blood, he is God in flesh and blood. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing, nothing, nothing came into being that is he is creator, fully God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. In verse 3, he is the radiance of his glory. Pour over this verse this week. Pour over it. He is the radiance of his glory, the brightness of of his glory, some translations say that he is, is shining with the beauty and the glory of God the Father. See, the prophets, the Spirit would come upon them. They would see angels. Even Moses' face was shining with glory as he spent time with God for 40 days on the mountain. And it was reflecting as a, as a mirror, reflecting the, the light and the glory of God. But Jesus has the radiance, is the radiance and the glory of God. And he has it shining out of his innermost being. He is God by nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. So not only has he created all things, he upholds them. He sustains them by his word. That's why we've got to get the word of God on the inside of us. I want to be sustained. I want to make it in the long haul. I want to finish the race. Get God's word on the inside of you. Get God's voice on the inside of you. Get the text, but get the spirit of God. Get the words of Jesus, the message of Christ. Let it abide in you. Let it live on the inside of you. And let it direct and lead your life for all of your days. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is said of no other man or woman in all of scripture, in all of history. That Jesus died like many of the prophets. They died. Some were beheaded. Some were sawn in, in two. Some were um, 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 killed with the sword. Jesus was crucified. He died just like the prophets. But it was by his death that he cleansed us of our sins and broke the power of death over our lives. And not only that, he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus not only died, but he rose from the dead. He not only rose from the dead, but he rose himself from the dead. Prophet raises the dead guy. Jesus is the dead guy that he raises. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily and I will raise it up again. 
the word of his power spoke and he raised himself from the dead. Jesus is better than the prophets. And some prophets ascended. Elijah, Enoch, they ascended in a chariot of fire. Enoch was walking with God and he, he was taken up. It's like, where'd you go? He didn't die. He was taken up in heaven. But Jesus was taken to heaven, ushered by angels, and seated at the right hand of the Father, where no prophet, where no man, where no woman sits, except Jesus. Jesus is better. Better than any man or woman. Better than any prophet. He is the son of God, the heir of all things, the maker of heaven and earth. All peoples of all times will bow and worship him forever. It's for this, these same reasons that Jesus is better not only than prophets, but than angels. Now I spent a lot of time here on the first three verses. I'm going to take you quickly through <laughs> Um, this, this message on the angels because it, it, the, Hebrews 1 to 3, it sets up the whole tone. And so I wanted to give some time to that. Um, um, so, but Jesus is better not only than men and women, than prophets um, of the Old Testament, but he's better than, than the angels. Hebrews 1, 4, having become as much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So let's talk about angels briefly. Because we want a high view of angels. So Jesus is better, but in order to get sense of the better, we need to know how awesome angels are. You know, when men and women in the Old Testament encountered angels, they were often struck with awe, with terror. They're like falling on their face. They're like, they are terrified of some of these guys. Um, now, some of them are cloaking themselves as, 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 as human beings and they're less recognizable. But I mean, Daniel is just seeing this bright, shining angel, Ch Daniel chapter 10. I mean, some of the descriptions about these, this angel in Daniel 10 are very similar to the descriptions of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. I mean, there is an intense level of glory happening here as he, he has this encounter with an angel. Um, angels, they're higher than men, but lower than God. They watch over us. They worship with us. Even now, there's angels in this room ministering. When someone gets saved, the angels in heaven rejoice. When a child, when someone misleads or mistreats a child, the angels that stand in the presence of the Father are reporting what's happening to them. Do not mislead one of these. Isaiah, Ezekiel, see the seraphim, the cherubim, these fiery beings, the seraphim, six wings, eyes all over themselves, um, the cherubim, four wings, eyes all over themselves, head like an ox, a lion, a, 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 a man, an eagle, and it's like they're, they're terrified when they see these things. Um, um, one angel, as, the, as, the, as the, um, Jerusalem is surrounded by the Assyrian army, the king and all the community fasts and prays, and God comes on their behalf. One angel, one angel, one angel kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One night, they go to sleep, they wake up dead. Because of one angel. 
There's a mighty angel in Revelation 20 that comes with a great chain and binds Satan, binds him, shuts him up, throws him in a pit, and he is not allowed to deceive the nations for a thousand years. An angel does this. Not Jesus, an angel. But Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the mightiest angel. Why? The angels are ministering spirits. They are spirits, flames and winds, fire. But they're ministers. Jesus is a son. All of the angels, both now and forever, worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is better. Jesus made the angels. Psalm 45, it says of Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your throne, O God, Jesus, is greater than an angel because he is God and he is enthroned forever. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says in Matthew 28. All authority and all will worship and bow before him. Angels minister before the Father's throne, but Jesus is seated, receiving ministry from the angels at the Father's throne for all of eternity. Now, why is this important? Hebrews chapter 2. For this reason, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. This message about Jesus, stay with it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to those to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So, a couple, uh, one thing to, to, to note here is that it was um, in Judaism, in our Bibles, it, it says that the law of Moses was ordained and spoken through angels. The Mosaic Covenant, the Torah, you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the laws contained in there, they were ordained and they were spoken through angels. The prophets of the Old Testament, angels visited them and called them back to the Mosaic law. And the writer is saying here, if these angels are so great and the, and the, the law of Moses, if it was a covenant that received a just penalty if people disobeyed it, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If we neglect the word not spoken by prophets and angels, but the word spoken by the Son? If that message of prophets and angels, if disobedience and neglect received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect the words of the Son of God? And he's writing, friends, to believers. He's saying, don't neglect it. Don't drift away. You heard the message. You received it with joy. Don't drift back into old dead religion. Don't drift back into your old lifestyle of sin. Don't drift back from unbelief in Jesus when, pe when things get hard. Keep moving, keep sailing, keep going forward, keep believing. That's what he's saying. And there's a great benefit that he gives of this. Hebrews 2, 14. 
I'm just going to briefly quote a verse here in verse 16, but then take us back to 14, that Jesus did not come to suffer for the angels. He came to suffer for you and I. He didn't come to save angels. He came to save you and me. Hebrews 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. And through death, he might render powerless him who had power over death, that is the devil, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For he did not give help to angels, but help to the descendants of Abraham. Jesus, he's better than the angels. He was made at a time a little lower, but he was crowned with glory and honor as a man, as God, as fully God, fully man, worshiped by the angels, worshiped by mankind. And in his humility, in his love, he took on flesh and blood. He didn't come to save the mighty angels that bind Satan for a thousand years. He came to save you and I. He came to save you and me. And this, for this reason, though he's glorious, though he's higher, though he's greater than any prophet, greater than any angel, he has come down to our level. And he said, I came for you. I came to save you. I came to break the power of Satan over your life. And you are no longer in bondage to that demon who's going to be bound up for all of eternity. You are free. You are free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed, as we are singing. Therefore, verse 17, he was made to be like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So Jesus, he took on flesh and blood. He became a sacrifice for our sins. He didn't just die as an innocent man. He died as a sacrifice so that your sins could be done away with. And because he became a man, because he took on flesh and blood, he can identify with you when you're weak. He knows what it's like to be tempted to drift back. Did he drift? No, he stayed with it. But he was tempted. His identity was questioned. His his purpose was questioned. His God, the Father, coming through for him was questioned. But he stayed with it. He stayed with it. And because he was subjecting himself to that temptation, he can identify with you and he can help you. He is a faithful and a merciful high priest. Amen. Let's stand. Jesus is greater than any prophet, any angel. He is truly the son of God. He is heir of all things. He is maker of heaven and earth. And though he is seated at the right hand of the father, he was not ashamed to descend into the womb of a little Jewish girl who was scared, who didn't know what was going on, who was a human herself, who suffered weakness and temptation herself. And he's saying here, I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. So what I want to do today, if we can just have some uh, recorded music playing. The theme of Hebrews all throughout, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. 
That's the central message. And the central exhortation is this. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep going. You've started well. Now finish well. So I want us to set aside our hearts today. I can't make you do this. If this is not where you are, don't just pray after me because I'm asking you to. Pray this sincerely. But a setting of our hearts to say, Jesus, you started me well. Give me grace, King Jesus, to finish well. Jesus, you are better. You're better than any man or woman. You are better than any angel. And your words are true. Your words are spirit and they are life. Come and strengthen me by your word, King Jesus. And come and help me. You're merciful. You're kind. Strengthen me, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.